Welcome to the worst nightmare of all. Reality. Explore the lesser-known stories of our unknown world. Join the pursuit of the paranormal with Ash and Greg. Hello, Ash. How are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? How are you? I don't know. Yeah. I just finished work and I'm looking out the window as we speak and it's snowing. Yeah, it's been snowing up here as well the last couple of hours. Yeah, we've had it on and off all day. It's been... Yeah. Makes a welcome, welcome to spring. I don't know if you you can't really see out of the window there, but yeah, there is snow. <laughs> How's it going then? All right. Yeah, very good. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. Looking forward to today's episode. Yeah, we are welcoming Colin Saunders of of a upcoming book, Triangular UFOs of the United Kingdom. Particularly interesting for me, as my own UFO sighting was a triangle. UFO back in 1997, but I'm sure we can talk about that in a bit. But yeah, welcome, Colin. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Hello, yes. Good evening, uh, Greg and Ash. Nice to be on your and, uh, podcast. Yeah, thank you. And um, UK UFOs is definitely, we, we speak to a lot of people from the US um, and other places too. So to actually speak to somebody from the UK about triangles, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Yes, I think it's a, <clears throat> it's a bit of a first, really. I, I had an experience with a triangular UFO back in 1999. Prior to that, I had no interest in UFOs whatsoever. So obviously, once um, I'd had my encounter, I decided to uh, start exploring and researching triangular UFOs. A lot of it came sort of naturally by just um, doing presentations and uh, going to different conferences. People started talking to me, opening up to me. Yeah. And uh, it was just amazing what I was finding out. But uh, yeah, it's been quite a roller coaster ride over the last 24 years. <laughs> I can only imagine. I mean, so the first question, obviously, is tell us about your your triangular experience. <clears throat> okay, it was the um, 31st of March, 1999. Oh, wow. Um, so it's coming up to the anniversary. It is, yes. It'll be 24 years exactly when wow. we uh, officially release the book, although the book is on sale at the moment. Um, yes, we've been out to uh, have a family meal at a, a public house called the White Lion, which is in Paleton. Um, that's in the Warwickshire countryside. So there was two groups of us, actually, but we left first. My wife was driving, and uh, my mother-in-law, whose birthday it was that day, was sitting, sitting in the passenger seat in the front of the car, and I was in the back on the near side with my daughter in the back on the, the off side. So we set off from the... Um, white line at Pelton and I remember looking around and seeing the other vehicle still loading up with people before um, they could leave so we, we we assumed they'd catch us up on the way so we drove through the countryside and to get back to Hinckley in Leicestershire where we lived at the time uh, we go down the Foss Way so we came up to the Foss Way the junction and as we were about to turn onto the Foss Way somebody said we we're on just about to turn onto the Foss and my daughter said oh I bet there's there's been talk of headless horsemen down here so it was, oh, we all laughed and said, oh, we'll keep our eyes open. As soon as we turned onto the Foss Way, half a mile away, I've been back and measured the distance, with some lights flashing away at the side of the road. Absolutely unbelievable, the most brightest lights I've ever seen in my life. And I've been to a few firework displays in my time. Um, also, I've worked in the aircraft industry, so I do know quite a bit about aircraft. 
Uh, I just thought I'd add that into there. But we we drove down towards the lights, all talking about them, all excited, asking what they could be. You know, we said it was too low for aeroplanes, too many lights for a helicopter. And we pulled alongside the lights. Now, they were just off the road, hovering over a field. And it was just lights at the time. And there was four red lights at the back, one small red light off to one side, and a bit of white light mingled in. Now, these lights would be approximately 100 feet away from us. Now, I base that on steering my friend's narrowboat around the Ashby Canal that was 70 foot long. So when I say 100 feet, I mean 100 feet. You could have hit it with a cricket ball. But the thing was, when we first stopped, it was just lights. There was no craft whatsoever. And as I stared into one of the lights on the rear of the craft, the, the sky started to ripple. And I thought, there's something there. There's something around the lights. It's not just lights on their own in the sky. And as soon as I had that thought, the craft decloaked. It was just like Star Trek. It just decloaked and became a metallic, structured, um, triangular-shaped craft. But the rear end was towards us, and the nose then rose up in the air. Well, it floated like a submarine underwater. The way it moved was very peculiar. But it was so low to the ground that if it had tilted from the middle of the craft, the rear end would have struck the ground. So the rear end stayed where it was, and the nose floated up into the air which gave us a complete view of the surface of the craft, the top surface, not the underneath, but the top surface of the craft. And it looked to be alive, even though you could see it was manufactured, it got interlocking beams on the surface, but it looked like it was organic. It was incredible. The, the surface was like liquid mercury. It, it looked to be alive, but on top of that liquid mercury were these beams that were interlocking. And at that time as well, there was a little bit of vaporization occurred around the bottom two wingtips of the, the triangle like fluffy white clouds, condensation. And we're all going, well, stop, let's get out, let's get out. But my wife decided to drive forward to reverse into a gateway, which was pretty much underneath the craft. But as we drove forward, the hedge blocked a few, and I thought, oh, no, if it's going to go, it's going to go now. So we reversed into the gateway, jumped out of the car. Sure enough, it had gone. We stood there in complete silence. I mean, you could hear a pin drop. Call it the Oz, Oz factor. And... Um, as we stood there, I look in the distance, I could see four red lights on the back of a craft going away from us. And I've been to a few air shows in my time and I've worked in the aircraft industry. And this craft I saw is the biggest flying object I've ever seen. It was like a football pitch going away. But it was at distance, so you couldn't really tell the size or how far away it was. But it was definitely an unusual looking craft. Now, in my first report, um, I did say I thought the small triangle had morphed into the large triangle because I knew nothing about UFOs. Once I started doing a bit of research, I realised the large one going away must have been possibly a mothership. Maybe the smaller craft returned to the mothership. So the whole thing only lasted just a few minutes, and, and that was it. And it had gone. It was all over. Um, we got back into the car, set off, and um, got back home to my mother-in-law's. Now, my brother-in-law, who was in the second vehicle, actually got home before us. and We, we didn't see him pass us on the road or, or anything along those lines, so we don't know how he managed to get back before us but obviously you did so that's basically the uh, the nuts and bolts of the story there is a little bit more to it which we'll touch on as we go along because i know uh, you're into the paranormal side of things as well as the, uh, the nuts and bolts of these craft so that's basically the the encounter and that was the 31st of march 1999 and the next day being april fool's day did make it a bit more difficult trying to tell people but i still couldn't help <laughs> Well, yeah, I don't blame you. Was there any other like witnesses that you've come across in the years since? Like that, not to that sighting, no. Just the four of us in the car. 
But my wife, because she was being sensible and looking forward and then reversing, etc., didn't see the craft materialise. She only saw the lights as she drove up to them. But my mother-in-law, myself and my daughter, we saw the craft materialise and float up in, in front of us. It was quite an amazing sight to see, I have to say. Yeah, definitely. And imagine, obviously, we're going to talk sort of your work since then. That sort of kick-started your whole interest. How did it affect them? Has it sort of changed sort of their sort of outlook and stuff like it has for you? Um, no, it was only really me who got totally possessed with this thing. I was like, um, uh, like close encounters of the third kind. I was hmm. initially starting to do drawings and then I decided to start to make some models. I've been a draftsman all of my life. So it seemed quite a logical step to, to draw the craft as accurately as I could. But then I, I went on to make a, a wooden model out of plywood and a bit of dowling. And I printed off some surface pictures, which I, I glued onto the craft. Um, and then I got some LEDs and a battery pack and wired it all up and made it into a proper <laughs> sort of um, scale model of the craft. And uh, I have to say at times when I used, to, I used to keep it in a briefcase and when I take it out, it sort of used to make me shake. It was so, so exciting to see. Um, and then there's been other models made along the way from a friend of mine, 3D printed models. But the rest of the family, no, they, they didn't take it on board at all. They, they knew it shouldn't have happened. They knew it, it was a, a strange experience. My mother-in-law was more taken by it than the other, than my wife and my daughter. My mother-in-law kept sending me UFO reports down from the newspaper, from, from the local newspaper, local rags. But it was really me who went overboard on it. And I have been, I guess, for the last 24 years. And we'll, we'll get to that along the way as to why I think that, that has occurred. Wow. So you mentioned this, this is in Warwickshire. So I wanted to sort of ask because obviously John Hansen is a researcher from the area. Is it something that you is that someone you worked with, spoken to about sort of sightings he collects, obviously sightings from police officers and stuff? Yes, I've met John on several occasions actually, and uh, he's put my report into one of his books, and um, he's contributed quite a lot to this book as well. Because um, the way the book came about, I went to a UFO conference in uh, Hall last year, the uh, Outer Limits magazine by Chris Evers. Um, yeah. And it was there that I bumped into the Kinsella twins, Vonnie and, and Philip. And it was Philip who suggested that I, I write a book after seeing my presentation. Um, so I got back and, I, and strangely enough, from that conversation, I decided I'd, I was going to write a book. Now, the problem was I, I wrote about my own experience and along the way I've done some newspaper adverts um, locally some interviews and basically a lot of people have contacted me locally and I've collected all of their sightings. So I put all my sightings into the book. I put the local sightings into the book and we'd only got to about 10,000 words. Now I needed a lot more than that to make a book. So I decided to expand it and to, to bring on board all of the sightings that I've collected over the last 24 years from the UK plus um, sightings that I gained from Omar Fowler's uh, database. He was a good friend of mine. And uh, obviously, John Hansen gave me a lot of information as well, which has is, is gone into the book. So the book itself has got over 130 different close encounters with triangles. So there's a lot of information in there, a lot of information to be gained from the book. Wow, that's a <laughs> that is a lot. And what what sort of time period? I know you said you've been collecting them over the last 24 years, but where does that where does the sort of earliest triangle? sighting take place uh, is that i'd have to <laughs> check in the book to see on that it's sort of around the 1940s <laughs> that area, okay but, um, 
locally, uh, sort of around the nineteen seventies, I think. Sightings in in Hinkley. There's been quite a few sightings in the in the town of Hinkley. Um, I lived uh, on a little village now, just on the outskirts of Hinkley, called Barwell, uh, in oh, Leicestershire. So, um, sorry. No, go on, go on. Sorry. So, um, the paranormal side of things. Now, the there is a connection between UFOs and the paranormal. Yeah, we we believe so as well from from podcasts and, and interviews that we've conducted. It definitely seems to be a definite blurring of the two. Yes, um, and now the strange thing is, this is the, the weird part of the story, that um, after the event, I started to have some strange experiences. And in the end, I started to write them down with the dates as to what was happening. And some of them were lights in the sky and lights flying over the house late at night. Um, <clears throat> and then a, an invisible creature at the riverbank. I mean, that sounds crazy, but um, that was an occurrence. It was, we'll go more into detail in that one in a moment, actually. And um, <clears throat> all manner of odd things that took place. Now, I've put those into the book and I've put them in date order. Now, the big one really was the creature at the river. <clears throat> I call it a creature because I never got to see whatever it was. But basically, I was fishing down on the river, saw it. A town called Rothley in Leicestershire. I was in a club fishing match. I was in a field on my own. Now, whilst I'm fishing away, I could hear all of a sudden four footsteps coming across the field towards me. Now, in the past, I've seen people down there um, shooting, you know, farmhands and that. So I thought I'd better go make myself known to them if, it's, if they're coming across with the guns. So I climbed up the riverbank and the noise continued, but there was nobody there. It was just totally invisible, whatever it was, and it was getting closer and closer. Now, I started to panic a little bit, and I thought it was going to be a big cat because I never jumped to paranormal or UFO stuff initially. It's always nuts and bolts down to earth, if you like. Yeah. So I decided it was a big cat. So I got a spike out of my rod holder that I used for my umbrella and decided I was going to use that to defend myself. And if it was a cat, I was going to go back down the bank and get it to jump on me and impale it on, the, on its own weight. That was my game plan. That's how scared I was. I was bricking it. I was standing there with this <laughs> spike waiting for this thing. It walked up to me. It walked from left to right without stopping. And it could only have been a few feet, you know, six feet maximum away from me. It was really heavy footsteps. And it went from left to right. And as it started to disappear, I got a bit brave and started shouting and clapping my hands and hitting the grass with the spike that I got. But nothing came out of it. There was nothing there. And it just faded away. Now, I stood there. And thought, well, <clears throat> quite logically, nothing like this has ever happened to me before, but now I'm starting to have these strange experiences after the UFO encounter. So obviously there is a connection. So on the night of the UFO, they've done something to probably done something to my brain that's made me more susceptible to these other paranormal things that are happening around me. Now I say that because I was about 40 years old when I had the encounter. Now, the first 40 years of my life, I've had nothing, no experiences whatsoever. But after the UFO, I had loads of experiences, and that was the big one. That that was the day when I heard those footsteps that I decided that the UFO had to be dimensional rather than extraterrestrial. If it was a nuts and bolts craft that just came and went, I wouldn't be having these other things happening to me. And because these things, other things were happening to me, it proved to me, made me believe 100% that these things are dimensional. 
craft rather than extraterrestrial. So why did that not happen to the rest of the family? <coughs> well, this is the weird bit. Of it. it took me a few years to uh, confess to this. I mean, I talked to the family about it, but on the night of the encounter, when the UFO reared up in front of us and floated in the air like a submarine, all of a sudden I got some close views. It was like somebody put a set of binoculars, binoculars in front of my eyes. So it was really close up and I could see the detail. I could see the detail on the surface. There was three views. I could see the beams interlocking. Then the next view was the big round nose. And the third view was a side view showing a, a central white, milky white core where the top and bottom gray parts of the craft joined onto this core, but there were no nuts and bolts, no rivets, no welding, nothing like that at all. <laughs> and then the next thing I remember is sort of like just being back in the car. So after the event, over the next few weeks, I'm thinking about this, I decided I must have had um, an out-of-body experience because how else could I get so close to the craft? And without those close-up views, I would not have been able to make such an accurate scale model as well. So that helped me to build the model. So, so uh, something took place there that I believe opened up my mind a little bit, which allowed these other paranormal things to, to enter, which I assume are going to be around all the time, but we just don't get to see them because we're not tuned into them. I'm sure there must be lots happening right now around us that we just, we just don't see. So then, taking it a step further, I uh, went to a conference in Leeds. Uh, Graham Birdsell and Russell Callahan used to put on some great conferences there with the old UFO magazine. And I got to meet a guy called Bud Hopkins, obviously very famous, the late Bud Hopkins. And I told him about this um, out-of-body experience. And he said to me, um, no, no, that wasn't an out-of-body experience. That was images placed in your mind by the aliens. And... Um, as he said that, this uh, this woman came along with a crystal and butted in and he started speaking to her because he was a gentleman and I never got to speak to him again. That was the only short conversation I had with him. And I thought to myself, well, that don't sound right. I mean, why would they want to place images into my mind when the craft was right in front of me anyway? And I got used to the idea of the out-of-body experience and I quite enjoyed the thought of that because it made me feel that you could live without your body and maybe there would be some sort of life after death. But then when I started getting into different uh, groups on, on Facebook, basically, and getting well-known, um, I had an email came through. Um, yeah, I did a, a TV thing with uh, Richard Hall. And um, sorry about that. Sorry about that. That's the ring doorbell. <laughs> I recognise um, that. that sound anywhere. <laughs> this, this guy in America, he... Um, hang on a this guy in America has seen my um, presentation that I did with Richard Hall on, on YouTube and, and sent me an email. And basically the email started off by saying, just like you, well, he had a close encounter with a triangle. He says, just like you, I had three images placed in my mind when I was next to the craft. And uh, he had two external images of pipe work and, and things along those lines. And, then, and he thinks he had an internal image as well inside the craft. But he said he had three images placed into his mind just like me, which is what Bud Hopkins had said. Now, just prior to this, I've been doing a lot of uh, research or, or reading and listening to David Jacobs and all of his abductees that he talks to, the, this uh, telepathy thing, it, it's always there rather than speaking. Now, I'd always thought that telepathy would be words in your head going backwards and forwards between two people. 
but David Jacobs says sometimes they give you images rather than words. And, you know, a, a picture paints a thousand words, doesn't it? So then all of a sudden, when I got that email, the penny dropped. It was like, Eureka. Bud Hopkins was right all along. Those three images were placed in my mind by whoever was on the craft or by the craft itself, which sounds really quite ridiculous. But from all of the information and research I've done, that does seem to be the most plausible answer at the moment. But I will always keep an open mind on this because it is such a, a complicated uh, subject. So, so I've I've got a quick question. So, going back to that night where you saw the the triangle, what is going through your mind at the time? Because obviously, that's quite a profound thing that's happening. Yeah, and that's it's, a good question. It, it and it's um, we we've spoken to a lot of people. Sasha Christie, she had an experience whereby it just she just acted normal. Everybody acted normal after this profound experience, and I just wondered what what was going through your mind short as it's happening and shortly afterwards. Because how does your brain cope with well, that? Yeah, you know, people were said to me, "Were you scared on the night?" And I say. No, not at all. It was totally opposite. It wasn't, if you think about the way it occurred, it wasn't like they just jumped out of us and went boo and scared us out of our wits. Now, initially, as we turned the corner and saw the lights, we were all excited. And I was thinking, they look like there should be lights on top of an electricity pylon to warn aircraft away, that sort of thing, although they were very low. So I was wondering if some sort of temporary structure had been put up and lights were on top of it for some reason. But then when we got underneath them or 100 feet away from them it was when the craft materialized and floated up i had three instant thoughts in my mind the very first one was my god aliens exist the second one was abductions must take place and the third one was this explains uh, mysteries that we've had in history because i believe for that moment i believe they've been around forever now i wasn't um, i've never been a religious person but I can only describe the feeling as like meeting God. I just felt so elated, so excited. It was absolutely beautiful. And the engineering was stunning. You know, the way this thing had been put together was incredible. The whole thing was just beautiful, not frightening at all, quite opposite to what you would expect. But part of me does wonder, because um, when we drew pictures, when we got back, my wife drew three red lights in a perfect triangle. Now, there's no way we could have seen those three red lights from where, from our viewpoint, we could only see the rear of the craft and the top of the craft as it tilted up in the air. At no point did we ever see the underneath. However, the large craft that we've seen disappearing, if you look at the trajectory, there's a possibility it could have come over the car and what my wife actually saw looking up was the underneath of the larger craft and the three red lights underneath that. Now I said that I say that as well because it, it does almost seem like it was um, like an ambush, like the little one was so bright and waiting for it. Also, I've worked out over the years. Now the craft wasn't level with the earth; it was tilted at an angle of about thirty degrees. So one wingtip was lower down to the ground than the other one. The other one was sticking more up in the air. And I've I've tried to figure out why it was tilted at that angle as we approached it. And I believe, but we don't, we never know if we've got the truth or not, but I believe they did that 
to show more of the lights underneath of the craft so that as we approached it was a full-on bright red show of lights of white and red all mixed up together if it had been level with the earth we wouldn't have seen quite so many lights even though the craft wasn't there at the time you know it was just the lights and not a, a, a metallical metallic structure at that point so the lights and the craft the invisible craft were tilted towards us as we approached it and i believe that so that it we it would grab our attention even more so possibly that was the bait that was the ambush and the large triangle came over us at the same time as we drove up next to the small triangle i couldn't it's only it's guesswork i don't really know but that's one of the theories i have yeah yeah so you said you were a draftsman uh, for most of your life was that in the aircraft industry yes i did um i've worked in different industries but i, I worked in uh, hamburg on the airbus i worked there for a year on the fuselage as an electrical design draftsman in avionics draftsman uh, sweden i went to work for saab aerospace in linchurpin where they build a 34 seater civilian aircraft i spent two years there I spent a year working in the cockpit and a year working on the uh, the wings and the engines and, and nacelles but all as far as electrical drawings are concerned. But also in my, in my career, I've, I worked in um, Aberdeen. I worked for Chevron Petroleum for a year, and I did have a few offshore um, visits, which I believe helped train me to get things right. Because once you come back on shore, you've got to draw everything that needs to be done, and you can't go back if you've forgotten something. So you've got to make sure you check it and check it again before you leave the platform. And I guess I use the same sort of theory once I've seen the triangle, once I got back, I started drawing straight away, try to remember as much as possible. And I have to say, it was nice of them to give me the close views to enable me to make <laughs> an even better model of it, of the craft. Okay. Now, the important okay. thing about this um, this paranormal thing, now going back to the book, when people were writing into me with the stories, um, because I did reach out to a lot of people through different uh, Facebook groups, I asked them if they'd had any other UFO experiences or paranormal experiences. And there was more people coming back saying, yes, they had, than no, they hadn't. You know, it's very rare that people have just one experience, you know, one close encounter, they seem to have other things. Now, so in the book, there was a section all about this, the paranormal and the UFOs. And it's all about ghosts and weird things that happen to people and and aliens and men in black. Yeah, and it's... It's incredible. It's incredible what's going on. So you mentioned Men in Black. That's uh, pretty interesting because you hear like the Men in Black sort of from the USA. You don't really hear too much about it in this country. Can you tell us a bit more about sort of the cases that's involved Men in Black over here? Yeah, it's a couple of cases. There's one local lady actually. Um, who, she was a nurse and worked at um, Enderby near Leicester. <clears throat> and uh, she'd seen um, a UFO and she'd started making noises about it and speaking to newspapers and she had a, a call while she was at work saying there was a couple of gentlemen in the reception waiting for her and she went down and said they were like men in black and they got bowler hats on and black coats and basically told her not to uh, make any fuss about it but yeah these, these things go on <laughs> well so i got to say sort of sort of guessing on that sort of side of it uh, do you do you think that our government or other governments know more than, than what they're telling us? Yeah, because I'm just a normal bloke and I've had an amazing experience. And I know now I'm not the only person who has an amazing experience. And it's not just going to be civilians. 
there's going to be military involved with this and they're going to know. They're bound to know. How can they not know? I know they keep trying to hide it from us and that does worry me a bit. But I'm sure the governments of the world know know what's going on and, and if they do know more than what they're letting on, it's for a reason. Because the aliens as well themselves don't really seem to be wanting to make themselves known to everybody. Everything they're doing is very clandestine. And it makes me concerned that it's not good, whatever they're up to. And our governments might know what they're up to, and they know it's not good, and they, neither of them wanted to know what's happening, you know, whether it's genetic engineering or whether it's harvesting of human parts. Who knows what they're up to? I'm sure there's some sinister, sinister stuff going on. So the question for me is, what? where do you think, or what do you think, or when do you think these aliens are from because you mentioned that you you thought that they were dimensional rather than extraterrestrial so are they from earth are they from the future as some people talk about future human are they from another dimension but on our sort of almost on our timeline as is some of the the, the conversations we've had before where interdimensional has, has come about, especially with cryptids and, and, and other kind of beings that, that come along with it. So who, what, when do you think they are? What, what, what are they? Well, as I, I touched on earlier, because of the um, extra paranormal activity that occurred after the UFO, I'm convinced that they are dimensional. So this, dimension we can only guess yeah. what it might be but i'm assuming that it's pretty much like we've got here but just at a different subatomic level so yeah. they they may well have an earth sharing an earth with us that's running parallel to the one that we're in and somehow they they found a way of popping between these dimensions obviously i don't think we have yet but I'm, i guess we must be working on that um yeah. I, I don't think they're from outer space now it, I say that because if this triangle we encountered had been from another planet and then just disappeared again, I wouldn't be having any, these extra experiences. Although they have calmed down now, I don't have any, not any for a few years really, but um, if it had been, for instance, you know, like if we sent Apollo to the moon and there's a little alien sees it, and then Apollo comes back, you wouldn't expect that little alien to carry on having other strange experiences and seeing pink elephants and things wandering around. You'd expect it just to be a nuts and bolts visit. Now, that's not occurred with our craft, so that makes me suspect it's dimensional, definitely dimensional rather than extraterrestrial. But having said that, we we don't know any of the proper answers. We can only guess. For instance, if it is dimensional, perhaps there's a way of popping across dimensions and travelling vast distances and popping out again on another side where you are, you know, a thousand light years away, but you've only travelled you know, half a dozen miles on the other side, as it were. I don't know. I'm sure we'll find out one day. So another strange thing is so. when um, when we turned the corner to go and see the uh, when we've seen the lights. The next day, I, drove, I went back and measured the distance half a mile. But the noticeable thing was when you turned the corner the next day, I can't see how we could have got such a clear shot, clear vision of the craft because there were like trees in the way and bushes and things, and, and it was so low. Unless it was high, slightly higher up and came down as we drove towards it, which I don't believe it did. 
Now, my wife, who'd only seen the three red lights and didn't see the craft materialise, she picked a friend of ours up from, from the airport um, a few days later and came back down the Fosway to show her where we'd seen the, well, for her, the lights, but the craft. And when she came home, she actually said, um, you know, it seems like the scenery was different, like it changed on that night. It doesn't seem the same now. I don't see how we could have seen it. So she was agreeing with me that it was weird how uh, we managed to see it without with all those obstacles in the way. So did we enter another dimension for a small amount of time? Did two dimensions join together as it was coming through and we just happened to get really close to it? We'll never know. We'll keep guessing. Hopefully we'll know one day. But it is all science. It's not like, you know, uh, black magic. It's a science yeah, yeah. we don't understand at the moment. No, 100%. Like I said, we, we speak to a lot of people who have similar kind of uh, experiences and that that seems to be a common theme. And it, when we first started out in this journey a couple of years ago, I always thought that UFOs were from outer space. That was my opinion. But now I'm less, my opinion is less likely to be some plan, um, outer planet that we've never heard of and we haven't discovered yet because it's so far away. And... I, I'm more of the opinion that they're a lot closer to home than than we think. Um, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Have you had a, an experience yourself, Greg? No, not from a UFO experience. I've seen things that I can't explain in the sky, but um, my, I, I'm more of a paranormal yeah, background yeah. myself. And it's one thing, like I mentioned, we... We tend to hear people who've had a UFO experience also have a paranormal experience. And it's interesting that you'd said that your paranormal experiences and these strange things happened after the event. We we speak to a lot of people and their paranormal experiences are the first things to, to happen. So they'll have like a poltergeist experience or some kind of spiritual experience early on in life and then at, at regular intervals through the life that they can remember. Sometimes they don't remember any of anything else up to the point where they start having a, a UFO or um, some kind of alien, for want of a better phrase, experience where it all seems to be linked. Um, yeah, so that's, a good, it, that's a good point. So it's, it's a good observation yeah. because the people who, most of the people who have written into me, yeah explaining their extra paranormal experiences alongside UFOs generally have started before the UFO experience, as you, yeah, as you that's, were saying. So that, that lifelong, seems to be yeah. lifelong yeah. contact and it ends up with, you know, meeting an ET or being close to a, a craft. What about you, Ash? You said you, you've seen a triangle. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm at my UFO site and it started off my kind of journey uh, 20 years ago. Uh, 1997, mine was, so just before, you know, I was only a kid at the time. Uh, yeah, so it's just a typical sort of three white lights in a triangle shape, about the size of a 50p in the sky. And there's a group of kids and a couple of adults outside in the street because it's when the Hale-Bot comet was visible in the UK. And then we saw this these three lights, and they just moved just quickly and just in a straight line, just straight across the sky. But you could see the sky get like darker behind it, so you could tell it was an actual... Like outline or something rather than just three yeah. lights traveling yeah. together it looked like an actual sort of craft and that just took about 45 seconds to get across the whole sky 
And yeah, since then, I've been trying to find out what it was. Uh, well, that's the, only, that's the only experience I've had. Um, but yeah, that's sort of kicked off mine in 1997, so 20-odd years ago now. Yeah, yeah, um, 26 years old, isn't it? Ours was in 1999. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is quite fantastic, isn't it, what, what is going on around the world? I mean, I've only stuck to um, triangular UFOs of the United Kingdom, and there's plenty of accounts in there. Like I said, there's 130, but there's a lot mm. more that are not in the book. And if we multiply this around the world, I mean, there's just thousands of these um, triangles going around. One of the interesting things is that we often you'll see that triangles have three red lights in the corner, one white light in the middle, or the reverse of that, a red light in the middle, three white lights in the corner. And you would think that, that, that generally speaking, that's the colours that people see. But if you go through all of the, the book and look at what people are saying, and I've made a list of some of these, that the lights that people are seeing go from red, white, green, blue, yellow, orange, bronze, purple, uh, pinkish, orange. Mm. Often they see a white beam coming down as well, like it's searching for something. And the triangles themselves, I mean, I've always said, you know, it was a dark grey colour. Um, and you would think that most of them are grey and black. But there's also orange, silver, gold, white, blue, dark brown, and a green one all inside the book. The sizes vary from small to football pitch sizes. And descriptions change as well with fridge pipes, girders on the surface, um, shimmering like tinfoil, rippling, looking like black tar. Now, to say that that is a TR3B built by one company in America it just beggars belief. Anybody who believes that story is absolutely crazy. There is no logic behind any of that whatsoever. I believe that was just misinformation that's been put out there by uh, Edgar Fouch, I think it was, the guy who started up the TR3B theory. There's no way. I mean, in the aircraft industry, we build, for instance, in Sweden, we were building from zero to 79, the first lot of craft. Any implementations that you want to make, they start from 80 onwards to 150. And you put them into there, and then you do another batch. You don't change every single aircraft that you're making. You actually get yourself into a right mess. So yeah. these triangles, if they were man-made, they would be like the, the stealth fighter and the stealth bomber. They'd all look the same. They'd all be the same colour. They'd all be coming off the same production line, like Model T Fords. You know, any colour you want, except as long as it's black. So, yeah, I, I did not believe for one minute this, these triangles and TR3Bs. We may well be engineering something along the same lines, but... Um, I think we've got a way to go to catch up with these uh, these little guys. Yeah, it always annoys me when someone put a post on Facebook or whatever, and it's like a triangle description in the comments. Always like, it's, yeah, it's a TR3B Astro, whatever they call it. I'm like, I can, I can even. But right. I yeah. love it when the, the Americans are keen on doing that, aren't they? The Americans always want to say it's one of theirs. It's one of ours. Yeah. It's R3B, man. I only have to see it on Facebook on some of those pages that somebody's put TR3B, and I just wait for Ash to put a comment around that. I was going to ask, you might have kind of answered it in your, in your last sort of answer. I was going to ask, apart from the sort of paranormal side of it, are there any sort of trends or patterns that you've identified from these 130 reports, maybe where or sort of how they appear or anything like that? Yes. Um, so like, if we look at some of the manufacture of these triangles now, I don't know if you've seen any pictures of my model on the, on Facebook yep. and that, but basically the, the top surface, when, when the craft reared up in front of us, the top surface was like liquid. It looked like it was alive. like a, It looked like a lake of uh, mercury that was just 
running up and down the surface. But on top of this lake were these metal beams, these silver beams interlocking square like an old-fashioned maze in a, in a, a stately home garden. Hmm. And that was all over the surface. Now, a friend of mine sent me a video to have a look at about quantum levitation, where you, you take a piece of metal and you freeze it in um, liquid nitrogen to zero degree Kelvin. It becomes a superconductor and it will just hover in the air and won't move. It won't even move you know, a thousandth of an inch. It will just sit there. Now, I had a theory that perhaps a liquid on the surface of the craft is like liquid mercury or liquid nitrogen that's trapped underneath a transparent skin. The beams on the surface then actually go below the surface as well and they're immersed in the liquid. So all the metal beams on the surface of the craft are um, effectively superconductors. And once you create that, you get quantum levitation. So what I've noticed on a lot of triangle sightings, people talk about um, refrigerator pipes running around the craft. And I've included a, a, one of those drawings from Michael Schapp in, my, in, the, in the book. Now, I believe these tubes that people see, like the back of a refrigerator, will be doing the same job. They'll be carrying a liquid, which is freezing the craft down to zero Kelvin so they can create quantum levitation. So on our craft, the beams were inserted into the liquid. On other craft, I believe the tubes that are running around are carrying a liquid to create this quantum levitation business. But I also believe that anti-gravity is used on these craft because everybody says the same things about the movements. I kept it quiet for a long time. And I used to read reports and I would know if somebody was telling the truth by their description of the movement. Because the way they move, they, they're fluid, they glide, they float, they look like they're underwater. They're just, it just doesn't move like craft that you see in our It doesn't move like a Harrier jump jet. It doesn't move anything like that. And there's no noise associated, generally speaking, with it. If there is any noise, let's say it's like a dull humming noise, like a transformer no noise. So <clears throat> my belief is um, they are using quantum levitation and anti-gravity to to move these craft around. <clears throat> One of the points I would make as well, the craft that we saw was absolutely fantastic. It looked like it just come straight out of the car showroom. It didn't look like it had travelled any distance to get it. You know what I mean? There was no burn marks on it, no entry marks into the atmosphere, anything along those lines. And um, also, you know, anti-gravity, surely that only works when you're, you've got gravity. So if you can be travelling in space, can you use anti-gravity when there's no gravity around you? Is it another pointer to the fact that these things are dimensional rather than extraterrestrial because of the uh, the way that the craft is operating? You know, because you need you'd need to know the, how powerful that gravity was as well to be able to. Yes, yeah. I mean, maybe they can sling shot from one planet to another planet, but you can't imagine an alien coming a thousand light years doing that in an anti gravity machine. It doesn't sort of make sense, does it? <clears throat> another thing I've noticed as well, uh, just from researching other people's encounters with aliens it's very rare that they actually wear a helmet and breathe their own atmosphere most of the times with greys and reptilians and all the rest of them they're not wearing headgear and then they're breathing our atmosphere and i remember travis walton saying that when he was he was taken on one ship then taken to a larger one like a big hangar and on board there there were lots of different aliens none of them were wearing helmets none of them were all just breathing the same air so is that, again, some sort of a pointer towards dimensions rather than 
Yes. Funny Fortunately, say, we... <clears throat> I've got more questions than what I've got answers. <laughs> yeah, I think um, as we we go on this journey, we 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 seem to end up with more more questions and answers as well. I've got a question though. Here's one. Um, so you mentioned about people having other experiences after or before the UFOs. What is there any type of like cryptid? experiences so beings um like a, a any kind of bigfoot type creature or or anything like that that people have said they've experienced again that's a good question but uh no no generally speaking they're all alien types that people are, are coming across yeah. and there seems to be three distinctive types isn't there? you've got your greys just a mixture of tall and short greys then you've got your reptilians the ones at the top of the tree seem to be the praying mantis and then again, this seems to be common throughout the world. <clears throat> That's one of the things. I mean, when I first started researching, I was looking for commonality between my sighting and other sightings around the world. So try and piece some <clears throat> some information together, some knowledge about what's going on. And it's the same with um, the creatures that are being seen, whether it's in South America, Central America, the UK. You know, there's reptilians, there's insectoids. But, um, yeah, not many... Um, Bigfoot sightings, I'm afraid. You've had, obviously, your paranormal experiences since this sighting. Have you had any more UFO or anything similar? Um, Yeah, there there was a few UFO sightings at distances in the early days. Um, Then it seemed to be quiet for the last 10 or 15 years. But during lockdown, I was out walking with my dog. And um, I looked up in there. I'm always having a look everywhere I go. And um, there was two aircraft going in different directions. And I noticed between the two of them, there was this metallic ball, this sphere. And it was quite big and quite a distance away. I mean, I tried to take a picture of it, but it just didn't come out on the phone. But I watched it for quite some time. And as it floated across the sky, on the rear of it, as it was going forward, this ball, <clears throat> it was flashing a bright white light, like lightning on just one end of the ball and about it was covering about a third of the ball every time it, it it sort of flashed it was like flashing on and off like morse code and it almost looked like it was malfunctioning as it was going through the sky and i watched it for quite some time uh, and it was quite exciting after saying it just at one point i could see that the earth behind it it had come down low enough i could see fields behind it and it was heading towards the um the m1 motorway going across top and it looked such a surreal thing to see it floating through the sky like that but there were no, uh, it was just a round ball. There was nothing else attached to it. There was no, I did, I, I did have a good look and there were no, um, no burners or anything. There was no balloons or anything along those lines. It was just a, a metallic sphere floating through the sky. But it's amazing, like, how many sightings have been local in Barwell and Hinkley. Now, people say to me, do you think Hinkley is a hotspot for UFOs? And I always say, no. The only reason all these sightings are coming out is because of me because I'm doing the research. If you take a Colin Saunders and put him in every town in the country, you'll get the same results because I think this is going on everywhere. It's not just in Hinkley. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So also you focus on triangular sightings and there's obviously lots of different types of craft, disc, tic-tac, all different ones. What's your theory on how these different crafts relate to each other? Are they the same creator or are they different races maybe what's your sort of thoughts on that i don't know yeah it um 
it has crossed my mind. I, I can only assume it might be different races, but then greys seem to pop up everywhere, don't they? You know, you, mm. you, see, you see them on saucers, and I've heard one being on triangles as well. So unless the greys are just um, like a robot, a non-sentient being, you know, a clone that they use as workers. And if that's the case, then they must be sharing these workers. But obviously they must be aware of each other, all of these different craft and different races. They, they must strangely enough be working together. The only one that's not, well, as I'm aware, it's not it's the humans that are not mm. being involved with them. They, they must be aware of each other, obviously. Yeah. But mm. as to which one's flying which craft, I, I, I don't know. I'd love to know. I've tried to find a definitive answer as to who flies the triangles, but the only thing I've had so far is just greys, really. Although um, a lady in New Zealand did say that when she was on board, there were some humans on there as well in military uniforms, as well as grey aliens. And I found that quite disturbing, to be honest. Just think that our military might be involved with that. Yeah, that would be quite a, quite a thing, working together, kind of taking humans or whatever. That would be pretty... Scary. Yeah, yeah. Um, Philip Kinsella, when we spoke to him, didn't he say that he? Or am I thinking about a different person? That there was like military people in the craft at the same time, or am I thinking that wrong? I've got a feeling he mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If that's the case, it's insane. Yeah. See, even more. That's probably even more disturbing than just this different race taking people like the greys if you've got humans working alongside somebody somewhere knows that this is happening in like high levels of government and that, that's right yeah that is that's even what to what purpose are we this is where you can go down some kind of weird conspiracy rabbit hole it's like are we are we trying to please them by supplying them with people or are we working alongside them for our own yeah, game? That, that was a theory in the past, wasn't it? That they were allowed yeah. to take so many, but they just take whatever yeah. they want. And it is but true to say like, a lot of people do go missing every year. They do. They do. They do. But I, I've always thought that if they were here for anything, like to take over the planet or whatever like that, they would have done that by now because they're far superior to us. So they're, they're not here to... This is just my theory. They're not here to take over and for us to become slaves to them because that would be too easy for them, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I do have some thoughts on that, actually. That, um, go on. Yeah, go on. Well, I know they're superior, but I, I don't think they'd want to fight. I mean, humans are quite warlike, nasty race anyway, aren't they? You know, and if you, for instance, like if, if you're fighting one rat, one human, you know, the human's going to win. But if you've got a thousand rats attacking one human, there's no way the human's going to get yeah. out of that situation. Um, now, I did listen to a lot of David Jacobs stuff, and I tend to agree with his theory, really, because there has been a lot of abductions in the past and a lot of um, genetic engineering experiments with sperm and eggs. <clears throat> so my, my theory is a bit like... David Jacobs, if you want to change the people on this planet, you're not going to do it by force. That's not going to work. We'll just end up destroying the whole planet, nuclear weapons going off everywhere. The way to do it is to change people's minds and people's perceptions. And with humans, that's quite seems to be quite difficult to do, but aliens seem to have an understanding of life and planets and the solar system. So 
is it a case that they're going to take over subtly? So the hybrids have been created in space for quite some time. Are they going to be filtering them down into the human race? And these hybrids will end up eventually interbreeding with humans. And what we're going to end up with is a race, a mixture of alien hybrids and humans, which look after the planet. You know, they've got a sensible soul and and everything works in that fashion. Is that the case? I hope, hope something along those lines is coming. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. So it's it's been twenty four years since your sighting, and obviously you're quite public with it, compensations and payments and stuff like this. What's the reaction been like to story, and has that changed in in the past twenty years? No, it's been excellent, excellent all along from day one. Um, I don't know why, whether it's my character, but people have not knocked it. Everybody's gone with it. Everybody believes me. You get, you get a few people scoffing it, but generally speaking, I'm quite. Um, touched by the way people are with it and even now around the local village that people are finding out that I'm into UFOs because people don't really know everybody's interested everybody wants to talk to me about it everybody wants copies of the book it's being accepted really well I think and I thought to myself you know especially some of the stuff I've put in here if I'd have said this 100 years ago I'd be burnt at the stake so things are changing people's perceptions are changing so maybe it's the right time now to bring this book out could be, especially um, sort of see the USA being more public with it. Maybe that sort of filtering into over here as well, where it is a bit more mainstream. You still get, obviously, the joke article, Daily Star articles and stuff, but when you see it on TV nowadays, it's generally not more of a joke article anymore. It's more serious articles. More serious, yeah, definitely. Getting into have, our perception nowadays. Yeah, of course, they've changed the names as well to make it a bit more acceptable, haven't they, from UFOs to UAPs, so that people are not, you know, so concerned about aliens as such and do you think that's part of the marketing strategy of uh, public acceptance is if you if you you're essentially changing like you say you they've changed the name of ufos to uaps is that a deliberate marketing ploy by the governments to soften the public to the idea that these things are out there and I'd say yes. Inter- interacting, yeah. Definitely, yeah. yes. I, I would agree with that 100%. As soon as I've seen it, that's a thought that came straight to me. They've changed the name to try and make it look more acceptable, to try and put some sort of different spin on it, which is what governments do, what the military are doing. So, yeah, I agree with that 100%. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Awesome. Well, thanks very much. First hours gone so quick again. It has, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's always wonders me when I do these podcasts that I've not got enough to talk about, but it ends up not having enough time, you know, an hour soon goes, doesn't it? It does. Oh, it really does. It does. So tell us, where can our listeners find your book and where to buy it? Okay, it's on uh, Amazon. It's called Triangular UFOs of the United Kingdom by Colin Saunders. And it's available now for anybody who wants to buy a copy. It's available in hardback and there's also um, an audio book as well. So... Uh, there's a lot of information in there, a lot of sightings and a lot of knowledge. So I hope hope you all enjoy it. It's a great chat. I'm off to, to Amazon. <laughs> and you, I'm off to Amazon in a moment. To uh... right, lovely. <laughs> so have you got a like a social media presence that people can follow you on and, and follow your work? Uh, no, no. I've just got my Facebook page and that's it, basically. You know, I've not really had my own website as such or anything along those lines. It's only... Um, 
I guess since I've written this book in the last few months, it's sort of propelled me a bit further up and in the social world of UFOs and people are starting to, to recognise me a bit more now. But they That's am getting right. on a little bit, so uh, I've got no nothing to hide now. Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks again, Colin. It's been, uh, been great. Thank you so much for yeah. joining Thank us you, tonight. Thank you, Greg. Thank thanks you. a lot. Take Thank care, you very guys. much. Thanks. Pursuit of the Paranormal with Ash and Greg.